This message comes from NPR sponsor Xfinity. Some things are slow, like snail races. Other things are fast, like Xfinity XFi. Get fast speeds, even when everyone is online. Working to make Wi-Fi simple, easy, awesome. More at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. No matter where you live, it's miserable outside. That, that's not true. There are some places that are actually quite nice, but most places are cold and miserable. And when it's like this, I think we, we are always looking for reasons to hold on, reasons to believe that we can make it through. And the thing you should know is babies in Iceland are taking naps outside in weather like this. If babies can do it, you can do it. Hatla Oskarsdottir is a reporter in Iceland, and she says it's totally normal to see baby carriages out in the cold in front of cafes and coffee shops. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's not going to be crowded with uh, baby carriages, but um, in uh, in a sunny day, it'll, you'll see a couple of them, and inside those carriages, you'll find sleeping rosy cheeks, cheeked uh, babies. And this is in the in the winter. There will be baby carriages outside with babies in them. Yes. What's the idea behind that? Well, um, well, basically, it's just a tradition here, and it all started um, in the beginning of the 20th century uh, because um, there was a tuberculosis epidemic. So people were kind of just trying to save their babies from getting getting this horrible disease. So they made them nap outside instead of in the crowded. So this is like uh, when it's time for a baby's nap, uh, uh, parents will put the baby in the carriage and and wheel uh, them outside for a little bit. Yeah, and that's also a part of it, that um, um, it seems like babies fall asleep faster if you wheel them around. Like uh, Kind of like if you take a baby driving, then they tend to fall asleep quickly, and then they stay there until they wake up again. Well, how does that how does that work actually? When a baby wakes up, are the parents standing by, or, or how do they know it's time to come get them and bring them in? Well, most people have those baby mount monitors in, inside the carriages and just listen. But often, if uh, someone is walking past, walking by a coffee shop and and can hear that one of the children is crying, they will let someone inside know. So, Hotler, do you think there are any long term benefits? Because I think, you know, Iceland is, it's a cold place, just like uh, Chicago. Uh, do you think that those babies grow up and they feel like they're very proud of the fact that they can handle really cold temperatures because they slept out <laughs> in the freezing cold? Yeah, definitely. That's that's what happened with me. <laughs> Wait, did you sleep right? out in, when you were a baby? Did you sleep outside? Yeah, of course. Most of us did. And you feel you feel stronger for it? I feel just just recently um, I, I heard that it's not uh, a common thing in the world. So then I, I became a really proud out, outdoor napper. <laughs> <laughs> would you, as a grown-up, would you consider doing that? Would you, you know, find a, a cool, I don't know, a, a sunny snowbank and just kind of nestle in there and, and take a nap? <laughs> um, I, I, would, I would consider if, if you would offer me a, a grown-up carriage. Yeah. I would totally consider that. Well, Hotla, thank you so much for uh, talking to us about this. Yeah, thanks for calling. It's my pleasure. We heard from Kathy, 
And Kathy has uh, an age-old question. She wants to know how to find a date. We like hard evidence when answering questions like this. So on the line with us now is Hannah Fry. She's a mathematician at the Center for Advanced Spatial Analysis at University College London. Just just the kind of person who you would ask about love. She has actually applied mathematics principles to uh, romance. All right, so Hannah, let's start here. Uh, with, with online dating, people spend a lot of time uh, building their profiles and making themselves look perfect. What does math tell us about that? The thing is it, that it's not true that the more beautiful you are, the more messages you'll receive. Actually, it's much more about how much you divide opinion that matters. So the people who have people think that they're really beautiful and also really ugly simultaneously, those are the people who do the best on an online dating website. So, so you, you, want to, you want your attractiveness to be controversial. Yeah, exactly. You want to be quirky or a little bit different. And the reason why is that when people, uh, people are thinking about their own chances when they're looking at profile pictures. Um, so people who are just universally good looking, uh, people imagine in their heads that they're probably getting a lot of messages and think, okay, I'm probably just, you know, not going to bother throwing my hat into the ring. Whereas if they come across somebody who they think is beautiful, but suspect that other people might not find them so attractive, um, and then it's just it's like a, an extra incentive for them to get in touch. There's less competition. So if you have something that's quirky about you, accentuate that. Yeah, play up to it. So the people who do really well on um, internet dating websites are people like with tattoos or piercings. Um, in fact, the, the the girl who's the most messaged person on all of OkCupid, um, she's absolutely stunning. She's a New Yorker. But she's also got, you know, lots of really big tattoos, which she displays really prominently in all of her pictures. What if I had a black eye, say? Would that make me, would that increase my chances? Well, I don't know. Oh, crikey. I mean, at that level, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure some people might quite like it. You know, a, a bit of a thuggish nature. Why not? Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you're, you know, you're, you're getting out there, you're trying to be proactive, but you're you're meeting people, and it's just uh, I think that can be so frustrating that no one seems right, um, no one is exciting. Can, is is there so, anything in math that can explain um, why even if you're trying, you're not finding the right people? Well, so you can uh, give yourself a good overview of what your chances are of finding love. Um, so there's a paper written by. Um, uh, a, a mathematician slash economist called Peter Backus, and the paper was entitled "Why I Don't Have a Girlfriend." Instantly, which I think may be <laughs> one of the best titles for a math paper of all time. Um, so, in that, he looks at his chances of finding somebody who has all of the criteria that he's looking for, and ends up coming up with an estimate of just twenty-six women in the whole of the world. Um, <laughs> and he calculates his chances of bumping into one of those women on any night out. And it, I mean, it, it comes across as pretty depressing, really, if I'm honest. But what's quite nice about this formulation of like looking at your chances based on your criteria is that it, it can be quite a, it can give you quite a persuasive argument to actually not be too picky, really, because you can the more and more checklists and criteria, and you know they must like this band and they must you know read this author. You can end up with sort of a vanishingly small pool of people that you're searching for and give yourself an impossible challenge. It, you said he called his paper "Why I Don't Have a Girlfriend." <laughs> yeah. Do you do you happen to know if he has one now? <laughs> He's actually married. I think he got married last year. Whoa! Okay, 
So, yeah, so I think he must have had to revise his own statistics because uh, the chances of him meeting any of them before were vanishingly small. Well, you you do talk about how to know when to settle down. Like once mm-hmm. you once you're sort of out there, um, can can you talk about uh, sort of what what the rules are there? Yeah, of course. So the idea is if you can frame a dating life um, into a mathematical problem, where once you decide to sort of cash in and settle down, you can't look forward to see all the partners that you could have had. And equally, you can't go back and change your mind once you reject somebody. If you frame dating in that way, then it's equivalent to something, uh, to a mathematical problem called optimal stopping theory, which is essentially how far through your list of partners do you go before you stop and say, I'm happy with this person as my life partner. And when you frame it in that mathematical way, um, the the best thing to do is uh, to take your dating life and then for the first 37% of your dating life, you just you, you reject everybody as serious marriage material. But once that 37% of time has passed, then you choose to marry the next person who comes along that's better than everybody that you've seen before. <laughs> but if you frame it in that way, you can prove that you're maximizing your chances of finding the perfect person uh, in your destiny of everybody you could date. It would be such a great romantic comedy to have someone who's going out there and she's still in the 37%. You know, she's still, I have to reject everyone. And she's at 10% and she meets the perfect man. And has to, it's a, is it love or math? <laughs> I know. Well, so I have to say, I mean, caveat, right? This method definitely does come with risks. And that being one of them, that you can, you can what if your perfect person comes along in that 37%? Well, so... You you mentioned you're married. Were you mm-hmm. where? Where were you in your percentages? Uh, well, I don't well. I'm not quite sure. I was 25 when I met him, so um, so probably yeah, probably uh, probably about right. Did you guys meet online? Uh, no, on a blind date actually. Oh, blind date. Yeah. How'd that go? Yeah. I mean. Uh, <laughs> well, obviously good because I married him. <laughs> um, a friend, we have a mutual friend, and um, he set us up, uh, and he didn't tell him that I was ginger, so that was quite a surprise. when I turned up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, it went well. Would you would you consider that uh, being a ginger uh, kind of a quirky thing that would divide opinion on your attractiveness? <laughs> In the UK, definitely. In the UK, definitely. A lot of people think it's an extremely unattractive trait in the UK. Can I can I ask you one more thing while we have you on the line? Mm. So it's it's rare that uh, we get the chance here to speak with a British mathematician. Mm-hmm. Do do you think it sounds as weird when when you hear us say math as we do <laughs> when we hear you say maths? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Really? Yeah. In fact, as, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Everyone, <laughs> everyone in the UK really hates that you guys say math. Um, in fact, actually, if you have, uh, if you ever have like a visiting professor or um, you know any any American who comes over and is talking about math, you will hear if you listen carefully, people in the background just whispering um, to add it on to the end of their words. <laughs> they have parcel. They speak parcel tongue. It sounds like. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Just add, add, add on the S on the end for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Well, Hannah, thank you so much for uh, helping out Kathy. <laughs> thank you, and good luck, Kathy. You know, Hannah mentioned the most messaged person on OkCupid. Okay we we should uh, give her a call. Don't you think we're just piling on then? Hello. Hi, is this Lauren? Yeah, this is her. So you are uh, you are the most messaged person on OkCupid, okay right? Uh, yes, I guess you could say that, or the most messaged straight female. Hey, congratulations! <laughs> Thanks. So you you have, in a way, you have kind of the best set of data to to look at what would and wouldn't work when reaching out to somebody. Do you, um, and, and I know you, you collect some interactions. Do you, do you want to give us um, a couple examples that stand out as um, maybe mistakes people made when, when trying to connect? Sure. Um, let's see. So this one guy started off with like a very seemingly normal message um just hi how are you how was your weekend did you have anything planned um anyway nice to meet you looking forward to hearing back and then it said p.s your breasts are amazing oh <laughs> huh yeah so that was he could have just left out the last line you know yeah um so really up until that last line it was kind of like that is kind of a good <laughs> example of what you can do and then a, a right. real clear example of what not to do. Yeah. Here's another one. It just says, why haven't we had sex yet? Oh, and that's a first interaction <laughs> with, with someone. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a, there's a yeah. clear answer there. <laughs> right, because you're asking me that question. That's why we have it. Well, if you had to give one tip then to somebody who, uh, you know, some guy out there trying to find a date, what would you tell him? What's the, what's the one key to writing a good message? I honestly would say it's not necessarily about just the message. Just don't send, like, an overly disgusting message and be yourself. I mean, as corny as it is, I think that's all you can really do. Lauren keeps a blog of of the messages she gets. It's at theyreallysaidthis.com. Hey, Simon, what can we help you with? Well, a few weeks ago, you were speaking with a father and son about laps of a pool. Uh-huh. And the swimmer who answered their question spoke about being an Olympian, which I thought sounded fantastic. Um, now, I'm 34, and I'm not exactly in athletic shape. Okay. But I was loving the idea. Uh, I wanted to know what would be my best chance to be an Olympian. <laughs> So, okay, so give us some background. What's, where are your strengths, would you say? I'm uh, probably uh, very average. I'm middling in terms of uh, speed. I can't go very, I certainly can't do more than about a 10K run, so uh, I'm not sure I'm a runner. I think probably my best chances is to find what it is that uh, Britain is bad at in the Olympics. Oh. Maybe go there. Right. So exploit their weakness, and then exactly. uh, you could become a member of whatever team that is. Yes. When you, when you look at yourself, Simon, and you imagine yourself standing on the medal podium, what sport do you think most fits the way you look standing up there? Hmm. Well, I'm six foot three. Okay. So uh, maybe something where that could be useful. Um, I'm thinking uh, I'm, I'm fairly big as well. I'm... Uh, 
about uh, 95 kilos. That's what, I don't know what that is in pounds. Uh, solid. You're solid. Yeah, solidly absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fairly big. So I know that um, wrestling is in there. I don't know if that's something I could do. Mm. Uh, any of the martial sports, maybe, martial arts sports. Yeah. Um, uh, if, I don't know whether our team's any good at basketball, but uh, the height's there. I don't know if I've got the speed. Um, but I'm not expecting to win. I don't necessarily need to get on the gold um, medal, but uh, I would uh, love to take part. So really, I mean, I think you need, yeah, you need to be the fourth best in in your country at <laughs> at, at a sport. <laughs> well, we def we we definitely want to help. Um, we're gonna we're gonna try and try and find your easiest path to the to the Olympic Games. Fantastic! Thank you. So it seems like what we really want here is we want to, uh, for Simon, find the Olympic discipline where you can go most quickly from novice to master. On the line with us now is Lauren Williams. She won a silver medal in bobsled in Sochi. So, Lauren, uh, can we start by uh, just having you tell us how long it took you to go from thinking, hey, I'd like to try bobsled to making the Olympic team? Six months. Wow. Uh, we started <laughs> July uh, 20-something, yeah, the end of July, and the games were end of February, so. So less than, less than half a year, you got yourself geared up to become an Olympic athlete for bobsled. This is true, but I must say I had some skills that, you know, transferred over easily from one sport to the next, and so I had a little bit of a head start being an Olympic track and field athlete because as a... Yeah, we we should mention, before she was a bobsledder, Lauren won multiple Summer Olympic medals in the 100-meter dash. She's one of five athletes to medal at both the Summer and Winter Olympics, but still six months. That's crazy. I mean, is he, Simon's a big guy. This is what we discussed. So we're always looking for big guys in bobsled, and the U.K. does have a team. Is, is Simon from England? Yeah. He is, yeah. Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> that They have a new bobsled team. They're, they're getting their guys prepared, and they're looking for people. So I'd suggest that Simon show up there because one of the things that's really important in bobsled is having enough weight in the sled. So if he's a big guy, he might be perfect for this sport. Can I ask, uh, you know, spending time as an elite track and field athlete and then as an elite uh, bobsled athlete, how, how, was your, how was your body different in, when you were, you know, at your peak in, in both of those? Um, well, for bobsled, I had to gain a little bit of weight. And so that was one of the things that was drastically different. Um, in track and field, I was uh, trying my hardest to keep my weight down and do the best that I could to uh, maintain a certain weight because the heavier I got, then it started to weigh me down. Even if I was powerful, some days I would, some years I got to a point where I was lifting weights uh, a little bit too much. And even though I was very powerful, it wasn't the kind of power I needed to, to have the speed to propel me down the track. Can, can I ask how much weight did you, did you have to gain to, to do bobsled? Um, I gained about 12 pounds. Is that fun? When you, have to, when you have to gain weight? <laughs> it's incredibly fun when you've gone from, you know, starving yourself almost and really being very diligent about what you eat and a cheat day or one cheat meal to, you know, really being able to eat what you feel. And But it's also a challenge, too, because you have to choose 
foods that are proper that are going to give you energy because there is a difference. You can't just stuff yourself with cheeseburgers and wings to gain the weight. You're trying to gain good weight, weight that's going to help you perform. Are there any, so, okay, so Bob said, what are the fundamental skills then that Simon can use to start preparing? He needs to start lifting weights, and he needs to try and gain as much speed as possible between now and the time that he would like to try out. That seems uh, really hard. No, no, it's not. It's not at all. You, you, you have a, a certain amount of speed. You test yourself out. You know, okay, I can run 50 meters this fast, and then you start to improve on that. It's going to be a tough thing for Simon to, to try this out, but I've got faith in him. i got confidence in his ability to become an Olympian in his mid-30s. He will be like in the Guinness Book of World Records for doing something that is extraordinary, not having a sport background and joining a sport at this time period, but I don't think it's impossible. I never say never. That That is the kind of positive attitude that separates an elite athlete like you from the rest of us, I think. It may be true. Now it's time to thank our sponsor, Emma, who is not just some rich person named Emma. No, she offers tools for email marketing. It's not a she, it's a company. With Emma, you can create sophisticated automated email campaigns and deliver targeted messages to your audience and enemies. The interface is super intuitive, so your team can create great-looking emails in a drag-and-drop editor. I know you like dragging and dropping. And track the results using an interactive click map that shows where people are clicking in your email. It was great for marketing teams of all sizes or agencies who want a better way to manage multiple clients under one roof. If you like websites on the Internet, you can give them a try at myemma.com. Support also comes from Netflix. Netflix with House of Cards. It's the Netflix original series that the New York Times calls Netflix's groundbreaking political masterpiece. Now in the power seat of DC politics, the Underwoods must watch their backs as allies and enemies from the past can bring everything crashing down around them. From executive producer David Fincher, it stars Golden Globe winner Kevin Spacey as the ruthless Frank Underwood and Robin Wright as his cunning wife, Claire. Watch all episodes of the Netflix original series, House of Cards, only on Netflix. We heard from John. John says he listens to How to Do Everything while driving to couples therapy with his wife. John, these next 15 seconds are for you. You don't bring me flowers. You don't sing me love songs. John, I, I feel like uh, marriage is a verb. You know, it's not, uh, it's not a noun. It's an action word. Yeah, it's something you, you're always doing. I think that because I heard somebody say that on the radio yesterday. I don't actually know anything about it. Well, it could also be an adverb, marriagely. But I, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure... Uh, marriage, marriagely is a word. That that might be just the kind of dispute that would tear a couple apart. Uh, not necessarily. They are going to cup, couples therapy, marriagely. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? Well, I learned that uh, when it comes to uh, building an online dating profile, 
having something kind of off about your your appearance is actually a good thing. Yeah. Like maybe on OkCupid, I don't need to be ashamed about uh, having a tail. Yeah. Just because I have uh, beautiful blue eyes and then a third giant brown eye in the center of my forehead, that doesn't mean I don't deserve love. And maybe I deserve love even more because I can see in five dimensions. Actually, I w- have you tried OK Triclops? Well, I learned that uh, all over Iceland, um, there are babies sleeping cozily outside. It's not neglect. It's it's a tradition. I do feel like it would make you... Uh, it would, it would, if you looked back on your life and you, you were facing some kind of hardship and you thought, you know what, uh, before I could even stand, I slept outside in the cold. It was f- below freezing out and I was okay. It would, I think that would give you strength in a difficult time. Yeah. You know what? My Netflix is buffering. I've experienced worse. Yep. How to Do Everything is produced by Jillian Donovan with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is an Icelandic baby sitting outside. Not, to be honest, the most productive intern we've had. She's so cute. She is. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Hey, you know what? There are other programs produced by National Public Radio. Pop Culture Happy Hour is another podcast you can check out. Uh, it's the perfect place to go if you need a weekend movie recommendation. I would recommend uh, The Running Man, the old Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I think it's mostly about new movies. Uh, I just watched The Running Man. It's it's much better than you'd remember. Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really smart movie. Uh, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger every once in a while like comes in and kills somebody and says something funny. But mostly it's... Uh, it it makes you think. NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour is a great conversation for the best things to watch, read, and to listen to. Find something new to make you happy. Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Or if you know, if you're not necessarily looking for something new to make you happy, again, The Running Man. Uh, Find it now at iTunes.com/NPR.